You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Bain, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at The Athletic Wisconsin. Joining me, as always, is my good friend and the founder of BrewHoop.com, Frank Madden. Frank, how you doing today, buddy? Uh, I think I've cooled off a little bit, Eric, since my disgust at the Bucks having the gall to lose a home game yesterday against the Grizzlies. I uh, stared longingly at Giannis's 11 for 12 free throw performance for a bit. And that made me feel better. Um, <laughs> by the way, a few people were commenting um, during the game that like I call like at one point he was 10 out of 11 before he had that late and one. Um, and I think, I, I guess I made some reference to how like typically, like if he has some bad free throw shooting games, he'll like, you know, then hit a bunch. Um, and I think maybe I said 10 out of 11 or something like that. So it was kind of flattering. People were saying that I called 10 out of 11, which ultimately wasn't actually correct, but, um, I'll, Hey, yeah, I'll take it. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, you know, credit to Giannis, um, you know, I think free throws and obviously we're now seeing three point shooting. I mean, this stuff is, is can get in your head a little bit. Um, this is where kind of, you know, the mental side of the game, um, can, uh, can become a little bit of an issue. So, um, Credit to him for, you know, not letting that kind of drag on and, and getting back to hopefully uh, the right track, at least with his free throw shooting. We'll see about his. I knew we were in trouble because I I, uh, I missed the first few minutes. And I know you and others commented that his, his first missed three-pointer looked a lot better than any of his other recent misses. So it's like, oh, God, we're like at the point of, yeah. you know, analyzing the goodness of his misses and trying to take some solace in that. But uh, at least the free throw stroke uh, is back. And um, he does many, many other things that are amazing. Um, so it was interesting, uh, especially with that three point attempt. Like I just tweeted out like, you know, it's good that he shot it like that. That to me was good. And then I think like Dean, it said something like, oh, it looked good. And, and maybe I think maybe a friend, no tech Ben, uh, also said something about it as well. And it's just like, I'm not willing to go that far in any Giannis three at this point. Like I did, I've said it a million times. Like every Giannis three is a snowflake. It, they're not the same. Like I, I have very little, uh, I have very little confidence in diagnosing what it may look like. And, you know, like, is it good? Is it bad? And just like, uh, I need a much larger sample and, I was thinking at the start of the year, we might actually get that larger sample. Now, I'm not quite as sure, uh, but you know, I think he'll still get up a bunch of threes, so we'll see if he can get some consistency there. But it was a catch-and-shoot three, which, as you know, I, I'm a big proponent of because it takes out all of the other things that can go wrong in trying to put together a three. You know, If you put it on the deck, uh, if you try to get your feet set, like if your feet are already set, you catch the ball and you just shoot it. Like There's only the motion that you have to worry about like that. That's about it. So um, hopefully there are some more of those to come. A um, couple things we want to talk about today. We're going to talk big picture stuff. Uh, we've never talked about the Jimmy Butler trade. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, and then we've, I, I, this is kind of like a progress report of some sort. And I don't even know it, the bucks are 14 games. And then the season 1482, uh, I didn't even I think yeah, it's, it's about a it's about it's about sixteen percent of the way through the season. Okay, so the, you know the sixteen percent report because that's something that everyone has <laughs> been dying for us to do. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. But one thing I wanted to mention, uh, Frank put it out on Twitter. Uh, we are thinking about doing a live version of Locked On Bucks. It's something that Frank and I have kind of talked about for a while, and largely the goal isn't to like make any money or anything like it's essentially to get 
all of our Bucks Twitter friends together. Um, so we decided like the holidays would probably be the best time for that. Uh, we decided the evening of Thursday, December 20th would be the best because that'd be when you would be coming into town and it would be right before I head out of town for Bucks Celtics on the 21st. Um, so that was kind of what we what we were were thinking and you know frank put it out on on a poll uh and you know some of you on twitter uh yeah he didn't put the idea on a poll somewhere and (laughs) ask people to look at it um he did he did put it on twitter uh and uh 20 of you out of 620 voters said you'd be 100 in 42 percent of you said cool we'll try to make it uh largely i guess we're just trying to look at the feasibility of this and you know if any of you are interested um if that is something that you think will be fun i know uh, a bunch of people have done live pods before uh I don't think either of us are expecting rights to Ricky Sanchez style uh, selling out concert halls. Uh, I don't think that's that's what we're thinking, but uh, we are just trying to get some idea of whether or not people would be interested in it. Because you know, like I think we've we've created this this kind of I think not we as in Lockdown Bucks, but like the general Bucks community have created this cool community and people kind of view it and i'm trying to think who who mentioned it the other day um oh kevin arnovitz i saw him in la and he had mentioned something about like how he always has appreciated bucks fans and just that like you know like they're calm and you know rational level-headed thinkers uh which you know maybe in the last year or so hasn't hasn't necessarily proven to be true uh but you know i, I think that I, I think that sort of it's kind of complicated i mean i i got to know kevin a little bit like geez like probably a decade ago when i first started writing um kevin's great it's a really smart guy um very thoughtful uh and yeah it, it's funny though because you say that because on the one hand like i remember um Matt Moore always sort of, I, I, I think it's that Bucks fan, Bucks fans have always had sort of like a fairly like realistic view of our lot in life. Um, <laughs> like, I, so I don't, I don't think it's necessarily that like we're, yeah. you know, like th- I think there's obviously a lot of, um, been a lot of like strong feelings about obviously like the kids situation, all that, but, um, but you know, that ultimately I think was, you know, pretty reasonable. Um, and I think it was, but it wasn't like, you know, it's, it's very different from like Laker fans, like sort of the fans that like view their franchises as like, you know, the, the, the Laker fan exceptionalism, which to some extent rings true for a lot of fan bases. I think the Bucks have always had like, kind of, we've been ground down into a fine dust. <laughs> um, and so we, we tend to have a more realistic view of, of things. Um, so I think that's maybe part of it too. Like we're, we're, um, you know, we can be cynical, but there's a lot of um, realism baked into that. So, but we'll get and then into I think that. through that. There's like, there's like community, like yeah. everyone is like kind of accept, in many ways, you know, accepted their lot in life that, okay, like I'm cheering for this basketball team. That's largely mediocre and just like, isn't, isn't ever going to be good. And, you know, now like they have a superstar basketball player in Giannis and like there's good things to be had. So, uh, you know, this is always something that you and I have kind of talked about and I think it kind of was also spurred from our, uh, blogging OG meetup uh, the last time you were in town when we got together with Alex Boder, the co-founder of brewhoop.com and our good friend Jeremy Schmidt, uh, who had founded Bucksketball. And like, it just felt like a good idea. So I think we're going to try it. And, uh, you know, if you can kind of let us know if you think that'd be interesting, uh, that really helps us out a lot because, you know, like, if you're going to do a live podcast, you need a space to do the live po- live podcast. And if you're going to do a live podcast, like, you know, maybe booking guests. So it's someone other than just Frank and me talking, even though it'd be great to get to like, see all of you and chat with you and uh, like, just hang out. Like, you know, we'd probably like to try to do something a, a little bit more fun uh, than that and try to get some special guests in there. So uh, if any of you can let us know, like what your thoughts are on that, like, that that would be much appreciated and i know some people already did kind of mention us both on twitter and and let us know what you're thinking on it but um any feedback we can get there would be much appreciated you you can you can also email us at lockedonbucks at gmail.com if you are one of the normal people in the world who doesn't use twitter um 
I realize there are many people like that as well, even though I'm not one of them. Um, so yeah, feel free to use that as well. Or, um, you know, throw a paper airplane with ideas at Eric the next time you see him uh, in press row. <laughs> also, uh, shout out to Ross, who's a regular listener of the podcast and tweeted me and was like, hey, can you sign like my book? And I said, sure. Uh, and like hung out. But like that's kind of the thing. Like we ended up bullshitting and talking about how Ross was skipping class for the day and like to come up to a Bucks game. And it was great. So, um, you know, like all that stuff is kind of fun for all of us. Uh, so hopefully uh, you guys are interested in that. Uh, LockdownBucks at gmail.com if you want to get your thoughts in there or shoot a tweet over at Eric underscore name or at FMaddenMBA. So um, major topics we want to talk about today. Um, Jimmy Butler trade. Jimmy Butler over the weekend got traded to the Philadelphia 76ers and the Bucks played two games over the weekend. So obviously we kind of just like plowed through content wise and just hit those two games, hit some of the thoughts that we had and then rolled into another game last night uh, and now find ourselves on, on our Friday podcast and we haven't talked about the Jimmy Butler trade yet. So with that being said, Frank, hit me. So I guess in the grand scheme of things, I mean, really as a Bucks fan, I suppose you should probably prefer to have fewer uh, top 20-ish players in the East rather than more. And obviously Jimmy Butler being traded back to the East, um, you know, raises the talent level uh, in the conference and particularly for the, you know, a team that obviously had ambitions of being better than the Bucks coming into this year with uh, the Sixers. Um, but, you know, we've, we talked obviously a fair bit when Butler kind of first hit the trade block about why he's a really complicated player to trade for both because of his kind of personality and the way he can dominate the ball. And, you know, he, he's just a guy who's really good, obviously very good two-way player. Um, but there's obviously some baggage with him personality wise. <laughs> uh, and there's also the matter of, you know, he's a 20 year, no, 29 year old guy who's had some injuries when he plays, he generally play has played a lot of minutes cause he's played for Tom Thibodeau. And man, you know, like by signing him, like, I mean, I guess we'll, we'll see if this is indeed the case, but it seems like you're signing him, you're signing up to give him a max contract next summer, which will be up to probably around five years, 190 million bucks. And, you know, right now he's, he's a top 20 ish player, but I mean, two years from now, I, I don't know. Right. Um, does he continue to have kind of, you know, nagging injury problems? Uh, does he, really fit ideally with, with Simmons and Embiid. Um, I mean, Embiid, I, I don't really worry about fitting guys with, with Embiid. I mean, Embiid's fantastic. He, I, I don't think I, I left him out of kind of the MVP conversation the other day, but I think he's, he's another guy who probably deserves to be in that conversation along with Giannis, Anthony Davis. Um, you know, if the Lakers can win a bunch more games, LeBron, um, who am I forgetting? Um, Lillard, maybe a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. Steph. I mean, if, you, you asked for you asked for candidates, so yeah, I forgot about Steph. Steph, Steph, if he um, doesn't miss too much time. Um, and by the way, and it's ironic, you know, with Durant putting up just crazy numbers right now that, you know, we don't really think about him anymore. He, when he joked about like, he's no longer allowed to win the MVP. I mean, he's, he's pretty much right. Um, your team is too good. I mean, that's why when you said Steph, like, I don't think of Steph as an actual candidate. Yeah, I mean, well, he, but he was getting like. I just don't think people are going to give the Warriors an MVP. Yeah, yeah, that's probably true. Um, but anyway, so returning to the Butler, um, so he's really good, but man, like that contract might be. Well, let's just say this. I don't. I'm not going to say that it's going to be untradeable in a year or two, um, but it will not be a like blue chip asset, <laughs> asset at the very least, right? Yeah. Um, the back end of that contract will likely not be pretty. And obviously that's going to be when Embiid and Simmons are really kind of in the middle of their prime. So um, this is obviously a, a movement to give the Sixers as, as strong a chance as possible over the next couple years. And I mean, it's tough because on the one hand, the toughest guys to find are those, you know, all-star caliber, all-NBA caliber players. And they now have three of them, but <sighs> You know, they gave up two, you know, Sarge hadn't been good this year, but, you know, Covington's obviously a really nice two-way piece that, 
uh, that fits is a very malleable piece can play with, you know, any star players, uh, you know, defensively brings a lot. Um, so losing two guys on a team that had obvious kind of depth questions already, uh, raises obvious questions about, you know, what can they do to sort of, you know, fill out the rest of that rotation. So it's going to be really interesting. I mean, they, you know, along with all the other good teams in the league, <laughs> including the Bucks, they lost yesterday, um, blowing that big lead against, uh, Orlando uh, in in the fourth quarter, which was kind of enjoyable as a person who roots against them. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I think to me, I think a lot of this comes down to, I know Embiid is going to be great. I mean, there's maybe questions about how great he can be. Um, and just like, you know, he's obviously stayed relatively healthy. He hasn't had anything other than really that kind of freak eye injury last year over the last, you know, 18 months, let's say. Um, but in terms of actually just players, I feel like a lot of this comes down to Ben Simmons, who really has not made any kind of obvious strides in his second year so far. And, um, you know, we can talk about this across, you know, more broadly across the other kind of contending teams in the East. But I think that's probably the thing to watch. Like if you're a Bucks fan who is trying to figure out like, OK, what does it take for the Bucks to contend for East titles and go to the finals? You know, look at what some of these key pieces for the Sixers, the Celtics, and the Raptors are doing and how those, especially some of those these young guys that were assumed to be future superstars, you know, Simmons and Tatum are kind of the obvious guys. And look at kind of how they're playing and how they're fitting. And, you know, there's kind of the murmurs about do do Simmons and Embiid, like are they exactly simpatico? And are they the, you know, guys who are going to make each other better and maximize one another? That's probably a, a, an open question. And then you throw Jimmy into the mix as well and, and him needing the ball. Um, I think that's a, a clear question. Um, but I think for me, a lot of it kind of comes down to, you know, certainly does does Butler and his contract, does that go south? You know, how quickly does that go south? Do they get two or three very good years out of him? Or maybe they don't. Um, and then the other piece being just Simmons more broadly, right? I mean, if he's, you know, the 20th best player in the league and that's just sort of like what he settles into, that's that's really good but it's not like top five to eight which i think is his ceiling long term and that's obviously he's a bucks fan rooting against the sixers like that would be a major kind of win for the bucks so um so anyway i think it's gonna be really interesting to sort of see how that evolves and the personalities that play there um i don't think simmons butler or Embiid want to take really a backseat to anybody um so you know the whole one ball uh, question I think is is going to be very interesting to watch and um, again I'm taking for granted that that Butler is brought back I mean if Butler isn't brought back it's you know pretty huge disaster given you know we saw the Sixers not be able to really do much of anything last summer with their cap space and um, you know clock is taking Elton Brand their GM has said as much I mean the, their window to really add talent is um, while Simmons is on a, a rookie contract and, you know, and beats a max guy, Simmons will be a max guy, Jimmy Butler, max guy. Um, once you have all those guys, you know, making combined hundred million plus together, you know, you're, you're just really having to scrounge around the edges of that, that roster and hope you draft really well and, and get some pieces around sort of the, the periphery of it. So, um, so I don't know. I think it, I think it definitely increases their ceiling over the next certainly year or two. Um, but I think it also leaves them open to potentially, you know, a lot of, I don't want to say it lowers their floor either. Cause I, I don't know, I'm hesitant to say that, but there's also kind of a high sort of potential combustion, uh, component here that, that I don't think you can, you can overlook either. Yeah. We can talk a little bit about like second year guys, maybe not quite improving as much as, as we would have thought here in a little bit, but you know, I guess when, when I look a when I look at that Sixers team, like, and I know there's been like a couple think pieces about this, so I'll try not to get too think piecey here, but like the process is over. Like that, that's the end result of the process and the end of the, the end result. And again, uh, sure you can trade, one of Simmons or Embiid probably. I don't know. That, as you kind of broke down, I don't think you can end up trading Butler. Um, so maybe you can trade Ben Simmons somewhere and further lengthen out the process. But, you know, at the end of, of, of kind of what they were doing, they ended up with two young stars who we talked about before the Jimmy Butler trade, I don't think fit particularly well together. 
Like I, I don't think Simmons and Embiid are fit going forward. Uh, so you have those two guys, and then you add in uh, an older aging superstar who may age even quicker than some because of the minutes that he put under or he put on under Tibbs. And I mean, you just look at that and you think, you think of kind of where they were and you think about just how, how kind of terrifying the process was. And it was like, Oh my gosh, they have so much talent and they're just going to, wow, you, you have all those picks and you know, I, at the end of it, they do have three guys that I, I think you can probably argue are top 25 players in the league. Top 20, maybe uh, you could get into it. I don't know if you could go much further than that with uh, Simmons, Embiid, and and Butler. But, you know, did they get a top five guy out of it? Maybe Embiid or Simmons someday? Um, well, Embiid, I mean, Embiid could be i mean by the end of the year we could look at Embiid as yeah as in that conversation right i mean that that's probably the most that's the biggest plus i think for them right now is that Embiid yep. is just looks totally beastly looks great, yes. um, and um but obviously the question is like you know does a guy like simmons who doesn't really spread the floor around him um and i just know, again, i don't think you can i don't think he can speaking to that fit like i think both of those guys have you know, top five-ish potential as yeah. players, but I don't think you can get both of them to be top five players on the same team. I don't know if that makes any Together. sense. Like, yeah. like I, I did. Yeah, no, that makes sense. They don't maximize each Correct. other. Correct. And I mean, the, the, in some ways, I don't even know, what is that like a Westbrook, Durant, Harden kind of thing? I don't know if there's like a good uh, contemporary comparison to it, but, you know, just at, at the end of it, like you have two guys that don't really maximize each other and, you know, to get uh, the talent that would really scare the rest of the league. Like both those guys have to be maximized. Uh, and <laughs> I, I, I've spent most of my time now talking about those two. And I have even mentioned Jimmy Butler, who, I mean, we've seen him now. I was, was going to say, we have, we also, I thought you were going to say, we haven't even mentioned Markel Fultz, right? Which is probably <laughs> the, you know, like the, the upside of the process was getting lots of picks, lots of kind of bites at the apple and gambling on like, a guy like Embiid, who was, you know, I mean, go back to, you know, the podcast. I think that was with when we we're still podcasting with Steve on Horn. I don't even know if I don't even know if you were podcasting with us back then, Eric. Um, <laughs> but like at, it was not controversial to say Joel Embiid was the clearly the best talent in that draft. But the injuries obviously were yeah. extremely scary and they rolled the dice and it worked. But, you know, I mean, they also I mean, Jaleel Okafor, Nerlens Noel um, and potentially now. Markel Fultz, who cost you another likely lottery pick on top of the first overall pick you spent on him. Um, I mean, that that could be, you know, like if this doesn't work with Butler, there'll be a lot of hand-wringing, obviously, over, you know, Butler, Simmons, and Embiid and, you know, why they could or couldn't do it. Uh, but I think really the um, the obituary, if, if it on the process will, will not be that, you know, in principle, it didn't give them a chance or something like that. It'll, I think it'll just be that they just gambled on a, some wrong, some really wrong guys. So as right as they got Simmons or as hard as they got the Embiid pick, I mean, Simmons was, I think was kind of a no brainer. Um, but man, Fultz looking just, I mean, like the, 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 you know, just hearing like on all our favorite podcasts, just like, you know, the the Zach Lowe's and you know Windhorse and all these guys talk about like how Fultz basically like is like doesn't really have much trade value at all at this point. I mean it's just crazy given how yeah. young he is that he has just you know basically yipped his way <laughs> into just this totally bizarre place. Um and and I mean it's just I don't know it's just crazy to think how quickly that's kind of gone downhill. But by the same token it's like I mean to think Fultz was going to be like a perfect fit with Simmons. I mean, Simmons is really the guy who is so unique that there's upside and there's also downside to it. He's, he's the hardest guy to fit. I mean, Embiid, you can fit with anybody, right? Like, yeah, he's going to need the ball, but that's because he's a great, I mean, he's, he's a Giannis, he's a, he's a Giannis level talent where like, you know, people would complain about the Giannis fit. Oh, like, can he fit with whatever? Like, no, you fit things around him. Exactly. Like, exactly. And that's s- how this works. Yeah. Like, and Simmons, you would want to think that, 
but he's so extreme in like yep. his unwillingness to shoot. And that creates just a weirdness to your offense um, in terms of like, you don't really run pick and roll and you know, you need shooters even more badly than you otherwise normally mm-hmm. would. Um, so, and, and, but it, and it's not just that he like doesn't shoot threes, but like, he's just so unwilling to shoot shots and generally he doesn't shoot free throws. Well, yep. he's just, he's just a, such an extreme player um, for both good and bad. Um, and again, I think he's going to be a great player an all-star, et cetera, et cetera. But um, you know, again, like the window of the Sixers is not like the next decade probably. Right. Um, it, you know, that, th- that would take sort of, you, you're going to have to f- kind of reinvent the team a bit if they're kind of, making Butler the guy to pair with those two, cause he's going to be aging out and then you, you kind of need to reinvent a little bit, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a really fascinating kind of case study in, in team building. And, um, you know, we talked about those issues, the, the, the Butler issues when we discussed the, the potential of the bucks looking to trade for him. And obviously, you know, all the stuff around how he's going to age and, you know, fitting him with other players and him needing the ball. I mean, it all, it's, it's the same story wherever he goes, really, unless he was good to go to like a team that just isn't that good, that can just make him the superstar. Yeah. And it is just kind of, I mean, I don't know if you can really get a large sample size as far as uh, how players deal with their teammates. Like, I don't think that's a thing that can actually exist because that'd be really tough to get, but you know, the last two times Jimmy Butler has been told that there's young stars that he needs to get along with, he's pretty much shit on them and just said like, no, don't care about you. Like, I'm going to get my shots. You don't work hard enough. And again, like, I, I'm okay with the rebuttal. Well, those guys were soft. Okay, that's fine. Um, but whether or not they're soft the guy that you brought in to be a superstar shit on those guys and ruin their confidence. So whether or not they're soft, you as an organization brought in a guy that was going to ruin them. And I think Embiid is much too strong willed for something of that nature. Um, but that leads into a, like a KD Draymond situation where I don't see Embiid backing down from Jimmy Butler anytime soon. Um, I do see Jimmy Butler complaining about Embiid and how hard he works or something like that. Like that's something that could happen. And with Simmons, like I could see him, you know, finding a, just a spot in the corner where, you know, he doesn't touch the ball much and Jimmy Butler kind of takes over and, you know, we see him, really turn into more of a complimentary piece. And as we've mentioned with him, him as a complimentary piece doesn't make a heck of a lot of sense. So um, yeah, I, I think the word I've, I've kept using for this is combustible. It is, it is totally combustible and uh, you know, maybe it'll be totally fine and they'll get through it and it'll all work out. And then you'll have three guys in the top 20 or so NBA players. And, you know, you've found a really good team or, you know, it doesn't work out or maybe it only works out for two of them. And then that third guy, you have to find a way to move like, or, you know, maybe Jimmy Butler ages probably like, I just think, you know, thinking back a few years, like the Sixers went from something that, was terrifying that now even I think even if it does work, like are you terrified of the Sixers? I don't know that I would be like, I I think you, even with Butler Simmons and Embiid all playing well ish, like let's say they, they don't all get to that point. Cause I, I don't think either of us believe that they can all be maximized on the same roster. Like even if they do find a way to coexist, like I don't think that's something that that I would really uh, that I would fear. Do you fear them? Uh, as long as they don't have a lot of shooting around those guys, I, I I wouldn't be that afraid. I mean, look, they're a good team. Do I trust you know the Bucks given their lack of playoff success that they would just you know definitely beat the Sixers in a playoff series? I mean. No, I'm, I wouldn't be that confident. I think I would favor the Bucks at this point, but um, you know the Bucks have a lot to prove as well. Uh, but I do think that the Bucks yep. match up better with Philly than they do uh, with Boston or Toronto in the East, and a lot of that is just because Embiid and his defensive impact gets muted a bit by being able to throw Brook Lopez out there and have 
Lopez spread the court and, and force Embiid to have to defend on the perimeter. Um, and and obviously, I mean, Lopez is not yeah. going to like shut down Embiid, but he can at least keep him honest in a way that you know, like you know, we haven't obviously seen the Bucks be able to do with with bigger players the last couple of years. You know, <laughs> John Henson's out there trying to defend in the post. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think I I like how the Bucks match up with them better, uh, and especially again, like with the way that they. I mean, again, like I mentioned last time, I mean, right now their their primary ball handlers are Ben Simmons, who is afraid to shoot from, you know, outside 10 feet. Uh, Markel Fultz, who's a mess, right? Like he will occasionally hit threes, but just generally doesn't, yep. you know, looks like he's inside his own head. And TJ McConnell, who's actually like a very good player for what he is, but also doesn't doesn't spread the floor. And, you know, you can go under every screen. And I think in a playoff series in particular, um, you know, not being able to stretch the, I mean, we talk about, you know, like Eric Bledsoe's shortcomings, the shooter. Um, I mean, the Sixers are in a kind of different universe as far as not having, um, you know, kind of shooting from their primary ball handlers. So, um, so they don't scare me. I would agree that especially relative to the other kind of power teams in the East, they don't scare me that much. Um, but again, I mean, they are, you know, a move for Kyle Corver away from looking a lot friskier. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if they can, yeah. I think, add a, a, a stretch four and another wing who can shoot, um, that certainly would help. I mean, the fact that Butler obviously is now one of their key guys and, you know, Jimmy's been generally a solid three point shooter, but he's not like a knockdown. You know, if you're if you give him yeah. an inch from 26 feet, he's drilling shots in your face type guy. I mean, that, that's not what he is, right? He's not even as good as Covington um, as a, from a shooting perspective. And, you know, until further notice, they're going to be a lot more dependent on Mike Muscala with Saric gone, which isn't great either as much as Muscala is okay. Um, I'm sure Giannis is very happy to hear that Mike Muscala is playing a bigger role uh, given how much he likes to hunt him <laughs> out when he's on the court. So, um, so yeah, I, I think the Sixers are, I don't blame the Sixers for, for making this move. Cause again, it's like, you know, the the idea of trying to get that that elite talent to to pair with your two other elite talents i totally get that it's always easier to find shooting depth than you know look at the bucks right like if they if they had signed pat Connaughton, like how much better would the sixers feel about themselves right i mean um (laughs) yeah so again like you can go out and probably find those types of guys a lot more easily than you can find you know all-star caliber players so I don't want to like make, you know, we, I don't want to make it like some impossible thing now that, oh, they're never going to be able to find shooting to go around those guys. Um, but it does make them a weird team and they're going to be really interesting to watch. And it's going to be a fun experiment, I think, as a basketball fan to see. Um, do we want to talk a little bit more about, I know we've kind of been doing it here a little bit, but do we want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, I've covered Philly now ad nauseum, but maybe talk a little bit as well about sort of how the Bucks shake out against Boston and Toronto, because I know that was a, you know, sort of in the back of our mind, as much as we were, you know, hashtag team 50 wins and optimistic about the Bucks' short-term future. We were, I don't know what the right word is, but we were, let's say far more measured about the Bucks chances long-term of competing with some of those other teams, um, particularly Boston and Philly coming into this year. And I think it's interesting to kind of do that uh, 16%, <laughs> 16% of the way through the season, kind of litmus test because obviously there's been a lot happening with kind of all these teams for better or worse. And um, I think it does change a little bit my outlook on, on kind of how these teams are going to you know evolve over the next few years and how the Bucks may or may not be able to compete with them. I will say this, we've already recorded for over a half hour. So part of me wants to selfishly save this uh, and have this conversation uh, on a different day. But you know what? Whatever. Let's, Let's hop into it. I, I'm I'm totally in. So, um, all right. So, I guess. So you don't. Need, I guess in the Eastern Conference, like I think some of the things that we were thinking at the start of the year have, have kind of borne out. Like you know, you, you look at the Pacers. Like I, I don't. I don't think I am, or really anyone is all that concerned about the Pacers. They are eight and six overall. They are in third, but. Like they're good, but like that's not. I don't think a team that you're really thinking about. Like okay, in the Eastern Conference, you, you have to worry about them. So we'll just knock them out. Um, then I do think it is kind of how we saw it at the start of the year with you know the Raptors and Celtics and Sixers, and uh, we just talked about the Sixers, so we don't need to do that anymore. And um, I guess I, I, 
it's kind of it's disappointing that you know when it was two undefeated teams we didn't get to see the the bucks actually play the raptors um like and i should say both teams like we didn't actually get to see the bucks with Giannis play the raptors with Kawhi. like we saw uh what everyone's team looks like two through four, two through 14, as opposed to uh, actually getting to see their top guys. So um, that's kind of disappointing, but I mean, I think overall with, with that Celtics team, I, I guess before the year, uh, I think someone had asked for my hottest take over the summer or during the off season or whatever. And I had said like, you know, maybe let's chill on Jason Tatum. Like let's, let's just chill there. Like we don't need to go crazy because like there were some, some of the rank lists that go out that like had him as a, a top 30 NBA player. Like had him as someone who was like, a, <laughs> better than Chris was better than Chris Middleton. <laughs> and it was like, well, he very clearly has not done that. Like you are projecting that he will do this. And the only reason that you're doing it is because of the postseason that he had and the postseason that he had was good. I, I'm, I'm not trying to take that from him, but uh, as, as someone who has seen the contract of playoff Henson on the Bucks roster for uh, years and years and years, like <laughs> maybe postseason sample sizes aren't the best thing to go by. Like maybe you shouldn't do that uh, because you don't really you know, like you're not seeing them uh, for for a full season and things can be matchup dependent. And, and, you know, you can kind of find uh, a couple weeks like uh, I mean, every Bucks fan uh, who doesn't like Chris Middleton has been quick to remind me that, oh, him shooting 60 percent against the Celtics doesn't mean anything. OK, cool. It doesn't mean anything. Um, but if it doesn't mean anything for him, then, you know, like you do have to apply that, the same standard, I think, to everything. Like, you know, I, you got to take postseason sample size with a grain of salt. And um, I just thought, you know, everyone was quick to crown Tatum. And, you know, I think there's enough habits that worked in the playoffs, you know, like ISO scoring and uh, maybe taking some bad shots that went in that, you know, if a couple of those shots don't go in, maybe he's not the the next great scorer that we're all going to see. And he's just a guy that takes bad shots. Um, and I think we've kind of seen a little bit of that this year. And then, uh, you know, Jalen Brown had taken a, a big step forward in the postseason last year. Well, you know, what happens when he has a smaller role and what happens when instead of shooting 40% from three, he shoots like 30% from three, something that people were concerned about with Jalen Brown uh, when he first came out of college. And, you know, we're kind of seeing that this year. And I mean, I just think it speaks to the general idea of you don't get to take the best versions of every player and put them on the same team. Like that, that's just not how this works. Like you don't get to grab the best Gordon Hayward. You don't get to grab the best Kyrie Irving. You don't get to grab the best Al Horford, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Terry Rozier. Like you don't get the best of them because the best of them came out in certain situations where they were able to maximize themselves. Like you have to put all of those things together and, you know, we're seeing some of those guys struggle. And uh, I mean, uh, Gordon Hayward may very well get back to what Gordon Hayward was at some point in his career, but as of now, uh, I don't think we've we've seen Utah Hayward come no. back. And again, it could happen, but uh, it's it's not there now. Um, and I just think you look at at a at a team overall that just isn't quite as good as I think a lot of people put together their ceiling to be. Yeah, and obviously, as Bucks fans, you know we've focused more on the Bucks and the good things that have been happening there. And there's obviously been a lot of nice stories and talking points and, you know, everything we talked about with role players in particular, looking better under good coaching that that has largely come true. And I think what's so important if you're trying to evaluate the Bucks and their place in the East, their place in the broader league is uh, we've seen sort of the rising tide for the Bucks and, and their players and their depth suddenly looking a lot better than it has in the past. And then, other these other teams have sort of had the opposite effect and probably, you know, Boston, as much as they're still, I mean, really good. Like I don't have any doubt that the Celtics are going to be a top three seed. I mean, potentially they, you know, could yep. still be the number one seed. I, you know, again, like I, I think if you, you know, went to Vegas, I'm guessing you're still going to be able to get, um, 
you know, better, better odds, um, of, you know, more favorable odds, uh, for the Celtics and the Bucks of winning the East. Right. And that, that's understandable given just the history, um, of the two teams last couple of years and everything. But, um, you know, looking at the Celtics, I mean, we, we remember when we were doing the all-star stuff about whether Middleton would make the all-star game, you know, I made a comment like, Oh, well, you know, Boston's probably gonna be so good. They'll probably get like three all-stars. Uh, you know, <laughs> Kyrie will be voted in as a starter and, you know, he's been pretty good. Um, not like superlative good, but, but he's been good. Um, and then after that, I mean, I mean, Hayward is like a shell of himself at this point. You know, he's basically a bench player who's been starting and, you know, uh, you would think he'll get better. Uh, but so far it's, it hasn't happened. Um, you know, Tatum is, I mean, he's shooting the ball fine from three, he's shooting 40%, but you know, his efficiency hasn't been there. And I mean, the big thing for me is just like, I mean, Jason Tatum, I mean, he's obviously a very skilled guy, but he's not like a physical freak overwhelm you type like athlete. And he's not like a playmaker, really. He doesn't really like make other guys better. So it's not like he's got some outrageous sort of offensive defensive ceiling. And he's not like anywhere close to, you know, like a, you know, Giannis LeBron type guy who just can make plays for others in addition to being these monster scorers and defenders and whatever, you know, like, um, so I, I just like, it was just a little weird. Cause it just sort of seemed like, well, what, you know, how good can he actually be? I mean, I'm sure he can score a lot of points. Um, and, and that's very valuable, but can you be a top five player in the league? Um, when you're not like an elite defender and you're not, you know, a very good playmaker and, and guy who makes others better. And I don't, I think in this, kind of current day and age like that's you know again not that Tatum can't get better at some of those things but I just don't think his ceiling is there other than being a good scorer and obviously you know we're seeing kind of some limitations because he is a guy who takes shots that just aren't very good and so the math is sort of working against him to a large extent so I mean he's still a good player I mean, he's averaging 16 points on boards um you know his, his two-point shooting has really been the disappointment 41 percent. he's 40 percent from three um and so it just sort of hasn't you know his, his efficiency has been pretty mediocre um and that's really important because like kind of like with tata with uh simmons you know and and i think a lot of this is because you know the national media needed somebody on boston to become a superstar just for narrative purposes so tatum was kind of the guy who was you know the most closely approximating what that might be. Um, so obviously there was a ton of hype and, you know, the Bill Simmons of the world, everybody fell in love with them. And yeah, I mean, he's going to be a good player for sure. Like he's, you know, I'd expect Jason Tatum to make all-star teams. Um, but, I, you know, again, like it's what we've been saying about Boston this entire time. There's no, there's no superstar here. There's no Giannis. There's no Kawhi. Um, there's no LeBron. There's no guy in that category. And obviously historically you've needed a guy like that. And so they're, they are kind of going, having to go a different route. And, you know, Horford, as good as he looked shooting the ball against the Bucks, he's shooting 30% from three, you know, he's kind of doing his Al Horford thing. Um, he's really good, but, you know, clearly he's not like superstar. He's just a, you know, superstar role player kind of. Um, and Jalen Brown, I mean, he's a guy who probably is the kind of biggest loser out of this. I mean, he, I'm sure he's wondering how he's going to get paid, uh, you know, we probably felt like he was a future max guy coming out of the playoffs. And now he's, you know, a guy who is you know, a complimentary player for Boston. So um, it's a really interesting dynamic for them. We've heard about, you know, Terry Rozier, what's going to happen with him, with him hitting restricted free agency next summer. Um, I don't know. I mean, again, they'll be good, but um, like with all these teams, their window um, gets, get, you know, the, the window is going to be open for a while there just because they have a number of good young players, but um, like, do they ultimately pay Jalen Brown a monster amount of money if another team is willing to do that? You know, that could be a really interesting decision. And if you have to max Tatum and then you got, you know, max Tatum and Kyrie approaching, you know, his late twenties, given some of his injury problems, Horford's 32, he's going to be a free agent in the near future. Um, does Hayward ever get back to where he was? You know, that there are a lot of questions that, uh, I th think people assumed we would not be asking about the Celtics. And so it's not that they're not going to be a really good team, but are they going to be, you know, as elite as people thought they were going to be? That certainly is a very, very big question. And, um, you know, again, like regular season depth is great, wins you a lot of games. Um, but in the playoffs, as much as they had that great run, 
you know, Toronto's a lot better than they were. The Bucks are a lot better than they were. We'll see about Philly, you know, um, but the East is catching up, I think, to to Boston. And as much as they obviously didn't have all their their star talent last year, um, you know, this version of Gordon Hayward wouldn't probably have made that big of a difference. Uh, and and obviously Kyrie, he's he's a different story. But um, but yeah, I think it's I think in the grand scheme of things, like you know, for the Bucks to be competitive, they needed teams like Philly and Boston in particular to waste assets or for assets to not pan out for guys to not reach their ceilings. Um, and for guys to, you know, maybe be not thrilled with, with their, their roles. And so far that's, that's kind of what's happening. So I think there's been a very appreciable narrowing of, of the gap between, you know, the Bucks long-term ceiling and the Celtics and the Sixers long-term ceiling. And I'm not going to say that the Bucks have like closed the gap entirely with, with Boston. Giannis is ultimately the, the, you know, the, 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 the total trump card in all of this, but Boston still has, you know, a potential lottery pick next year. Sacramento, actually, I'm rooting for Sacramento to be good because I don't want that, that pick to be like a top five pick for Boston. Um, if it was first overall, I think it would still go to Philly. Um, so hopefully go Kings hashtag Kangs. Um, cause that, that will help thin out the, the Celtics future assets a little bit. They've got some other future first rounders from Memphis and some others kind of still floating around. But, um, but yeah, really interesting to see with Boston. And again, like, you know, everything's great when you've got these young guys making very little money, but you know, when they don't necessarily turn into as good of players as you were counting on, and then you still have to pay them a lot of money. That's when stuff kind of starts to get a little tighter. And, and Horford, obviously he's, you know, age wise, um, the guy who you would expect to be the first to decline and, and who knows what his next contract might look like, or if he would even go someplace else. So, um, so yeah, Boston is, is very interesting. And, um, I, I'm going to be really curious to see these, these next couple of Celtics bucks games. Cause, um, again, having lived in Boston for so long, um, I hate the Celtics. Uh, so, uh, I would I would enjoy beating them as as much as it's fun beating the the Sixers just because of the process stuff and you know Embiid's trash talking and flopping and theatrics and stuff. Um, I, I think especially after that playoff last year, last last year, uh, there's probably no team I'd I'd rather kind of uh, outplay and beat uh, than than the Celtics. Yeah, and I I want to be clear, like you know, obviously we're talking long term. Like I, I do still think the Celtics, because of Horford, really uh, pose a, a serious problem to the Bucks because you know like they they do struggle with pick and pop bigs, and you know like you're still gonna have that question of can Lopez play, can Ilya Silva play against him? Like what do you do against him? Giannis isn't a great matchup for him. Like what do you try to do there? So um, I think that it's gonna be really interesting. Um, but that was kind of, you know, your your 10,000 feet view of of the Celtics. Now let's go to the very top of the Eastern Conference, 12 and 3 Toronto Raptors. And I mean, I, I think they're just a, a really interesting team because they've had obviously with Kawhi coming in, you knew that they were going to get, you know, it an elite player if he ended up being healthy and he's largely proven to be healthy and kind of gotten right back to his elite status. Um, I think some of the things you weren't necessarily counting on were a surge Abaka resurgence. Um, he, he had become a player that, you know, was really struggling uh, last year and just didn't really look like, like the player that he was. Nick nurse has decided that, you know, he's going to play center and that's how he's, going to play he's not going to play power forward which obviously to all of us seems like a great idea because you know going smaller we i think we appreciate on this podcast uh and you know all the cool stuff that Serge Ibaka does is cooler at center than it is at power forward so that kind of happened he's kind of had a resurgence he's averaging i think like 17 points a game uh and then pascal siakam um he's a thing (laughs) he he has turned into a real live basketball player um, and not just, you know, some abstraction that, you know, you're hoping could somehow manage to be a basketball player. So I think that's big. And then, you know, Danny green got thrown into that trade. He, he's Danny green. (laughs) He's just a solid basketball player, a good rotation guy. Um, And then when you put all that together, kind of with some of the stuff that they had, they had signed uh, obviously some contracts that I don't think, people loved like the Fred Van Vliet contract, the, you know, it's Valentinus contract. Uh, some I, of those I, things, I the Van, 
it was really a good deal though, actually. But you think so? Yeah. yeah. It depends how real you think he is. Obviously, like if you think he was, he was kind of fluky, then, then I get it. But you know, it's not like they had to go match like a five year, you know, $15 million a year deal. Like he's, he's at a number where you can, you feel fine bringing him off the bench though, which is probably important. Yes, I, I would agree. Um, you, you know, just how I feel about like middling contracts. I'm yeah. not a fan. So, yeah. um, uh, but yeah, so you have all these guys and you know, Kyle Lowry is still Kyle Lowry. He's averaging 10 assists per game. Like I just think when you look up and down that Raptors team, one, I'm sad again that we didn't get to see him in in real life uh, against the Bucks, and we didn't get to see the Bucks really get to play them either uh, with no Giannis in that game. So we were kind of robbed of that the first time around. But I am really curious to see, you know, kind of what that team will look like against the Bucks because we don't really know. But um, I mean, uh, looming over them is the possibility of Kawhi leaving. Uh, I mean, I think Masai will do just about anything short of kidnapping uh, Kawhi and forcing him to sign a contract, which maybe Masai would even do. We have seen players get kidnapped before DeAndre Jordan. Um, so we've seen that before. So, you know, maybe that'll be something that they do. But, you, you know, you you look at that team and, and kind of what they've been able to do, and they're great offensively. They've uh, struggled a little bit defensively this year and maybe not sh- struggled, struggled but just haven't been like a, an elite defense. So they're kind of going through on the power of their offense at this point. And I, I don't know. I don't know what to think about them long-term because, you know, you think about Kyle Lowry and what he's all about and, you know, he could, he could fall off a cliff. Like his performance could do that. Serge Ibaka is kind of enjoying a resurgence now, but he could fall off a cliff as well. Um, Danny Green is up on the older side of things. So they're just this interesting mix of like older guys. And then Pascal Siakam, who is like a, a nice intriguing prospect, but then some middling contracts. And I don't really know where's your head at with the, the Toronto Raptors and, and kind of what you're viewing them for um, as far as long-term prospects are concerned. I think the Raptors um, it, putting aside the contract stuff are kind of like the closest to the bucks in terms of like sort of the infrastructure of the roster, if that makes sense. Um, mm. Because they have kind of like, they, they only have like one, star you know superstar player um Kawhi maybe has not been old Kawhi quite yet we'll, I mean, we'll see if he gets back to that or not if you're a Bucks fan you're probably hoping he's yeah. obviously not going to get back to that but um you know prime Kawhi and prime Giannis I think are um different types of players but obviously you know in terms of impact and their sort of two-way ability to 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 you know drastically um change the course of a game um they're pretty unique in that way uh and but beyond that, I mean, Larry obviously has been an all-star um, and, you know, is having a nice year outside of that one horrible shooting idea against the Bucks. Um, but he's kind of a Middleton. Yeah, there's like a Middleton-ish. I mean, he's 32. I mean, age-wise, it's different. He's obviously a yeah, different yeah. position player. But in terms of like overall caliber of player, um, you know, I think there's some com- there's some similarities there uh, in terms of sure. overall levels. And then, you know, you've got kind of these other guys uh, around the edges, you know, like Siakam and Ananobi are like really valuable pieces because of their kind of defensive versatility. Siakam offensively has been very good this year. Um, but like, I mean, let's be realistic. I mean, Ananobi is not like a, I, I don't think he's like a high ceiling type guy. Like, I don't think he's ever going to have kind of the ball skills to, um, yeah. to be like a really, you know, like a third banana or something like that. I mean, these are like guys who are like awesome rookie contract type players. And then, yeah, we'll see. You know, and they're they're very good in the <laughs> Maybe playoffs. Maybe you don't want that other contract. Yeah, yeah, and then we'll see kind of what happens. I mean, like Ananobi's like three point shooting kind of crashed um, in the second half last year. He's shooting twenty nine percent this year. He's kind of one of those guys where it's like we were also surprised that he was shooting the ball so well last year. And um, you know, if if he's closer to like a twenty nine percent three point shooter, I mean, you'll still want to play him because he's so versatile defensively. But yeah, yeah I mean, then he's not like you know a guy that is you know, like again, like a third or fourth guy in a championship team or something like that. Um, but so they have a lot of these like pieces and Ibaka obviously having a very nice season. I was looking at his numbers. He's shooting 80 some percent at the rim and 79% on long twos right now. So maybe not um, sustainable. You're saying, yeah, yeah. he's only shooting 30% on threes, which I found interesting. Um, but yeah, so he's having obviously overall a very, very good season. Um, but you know, we'll kind of see, right. I mean, he's, He's not on the the good side of the aging curve, especially given 
you know, but he is likely a little bit older than his listed age of 29. So, um, so yeah, there are a lot of like very interesting young pieces, um, and guys who will need to get paid. I mean, Van Vliet, uh, if he's last year's Van Vliet is a, a very good bargain this year, he really hasn't been particularly good. Um, so, you know, sort of a similar story. Like if it, you know, we haven't really seen it the way we have with Boston, but if, you know, kind of these younger guys maybe don't evolve the way you'd want them to, um, then you start to view that team a little bit differently. Um, but fundamentally, I mean, like Siakam and Anobi, I mean, as much as I don't think Tatum is like a superstar talent, I mean, obviously those guys are, are not close to having that type of ceiling. So it's a little interesting to me because yep. the Raptors are really like a one superstar team. The Bucks are one superstar team. Um, but it feels like, you know, like, like Nick Friedel last year from ESPN, like would always like just kind of, talk down about the Bucks' talent level and how they really, you know, don't have enough pieces and blah, blah, blah. And like, you know, I'm, I'm very curious. I'm always curious to see what Nick Friedel and Howard Beck say this year, because I remember them specifically when Kit got fired saying something to the fact of like, well, they're not really that good anyway. And I just remember like taking my notes and saying, okay, All right. Howard <laughs> Beck from Bleacher Report, Nick Friedel. For- okay. All right. Well, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Um, and, you know, I, I, again, obviously we don't need to tell our listeners about the impact of coaching and, you know, role players, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but also, you know, how good, uh, you know, Giannis is and, and how much he can change the kind of <laughs> the ceiling of a team. Um, but it's interesting because people don't say like, there's still a lot of people who obviously, and, and I mean, I think as a lot of Bucks fans, I mean, I'm still trying to sort of come to grips exactly how good the Bucks can be and trying to really gauge that. Like how realistic is it to think that they could, not just make the East finals, but potentially even win, win the East this year. I mean, it, it, it's a much more realistic conversation now than it was before. Um, and I think Toronto is interesting because I don't think there's really any question that Toronto, like nobody's questioning whether the Raptors can win the East or go to the finals. And I think that's probably for two reasons, mainly because this was a great regular season team previously. So people don't doubt that they can be great on both ends, you know, swapping Kawhi for DeRozan, in theory should obviously make you better. Um, and Kawhi in particular, I think I've heard people say, well, and he's also like proven, I mean, he's a finals MVP. So um, as much as it's, that's obviously was a while ago and a lot has happened since then, there's not any kind of questions about him being able to play at the highest level in the playoffs. Whereas, you know, Giannis obviously has been very good in the playoffs, but hasn't won a playoff series. Right. And he's obviously a, you know, four years younger too. So there's some there's some reasons for that. Didn't play on the Spurs with Tim Duncan and et cetera, et cetera. But um, but I think it's interesting to to compare the Raptors and, and Bucks and just sort of see how differently they're perceived, even though I think those rosters and the kind of structure is is actually pretty comparable. Um, so I'm I'm gonna be very curious just to see how well the Bucks can keep up with the Raptors uh, in the East this year and to see if that narrative kind of changes over time. Um because like nobody's like looking at the Raptors and saying like Nick Friedle, even last week I was listening to a podcast. I think it was like the hoop collective and you know, he made, made reference to something about like the bucks still needing one or two pieces. And it's like, yeah, yeah. Okay. You're like still going to play that card. Cause you know, now like it's like, Oh, the bucks can't win a champ. You know, it's like, I hate that like goalpost moving. It's like, Oh, the bucks aren't really that good. It's like, Oh, well the bucks can't yeah. now win a championship now that they are good. It's like, screw that. Like I, I find that it's kind of annoying, but, um, but it's interesting because nobody, nobody's taught. I mean, I don't like. I haven't heard anybody say like, "Well, the Raptors need to go make a big move to get another star with Kawhi," right? Like nobody says that. Um, and so <laughs> I think it's interesting because no. a lot of people, I think, probably still think that about the Bucks. And look, I mean, the Bucks have some big decisions to make this offseason. You know, Bledsoe, Brogdon, Lopez all be hitting free agency. Um, that's another podcast. But uh, as far as this season goes. Phew, I don't know, man, like both of these teams have a lot of like players who are playing really well and a lot of really talented guys who can play offense and defense. And um, I I think it's going to be really fun to see kind of watch these two teams kind of go at it and, and compete. And, um, you know, again, Giannis, I think, I think with Kawhi, I think what we're seeing is I I don't, you know, there there was the whole like, Oh, is who's the best player in the Eastern conference. I mean, I, I don't think there's that much doubt that Giannis, you know, should be the best, regular season player in the, in the Eastern conference, you know, Kawhi's sat out a lot of games. He's been very good, but he's not been, you know, MVP caliber Kawhi, uh, at least not yet. So, 
um, that I think is is an edge to the Bucks, right? If if you think about you know this team, these team sort of ceilings, uh, at least in the regular season, we'll see about the playoffs. But um, but yeah, I think Toronto is interesting, and and you alluded to it, but really the 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 fascinating thing about them is they could be I don't want to say ground zero, but I mean they could be basically in a position where they have to hit the reset button next summer if they lose Kawhi, right? I mean, you lose Kawhi, like are you keeping Kyle Lowry and Serge Ibaka? I, I have no idea, right? Like you, that could be the natural reset point. And um, so I think if you're a Bucks fan selfishly looking at, you know, the free agency, probably the most important thing is, yeah, the Bucks keeping Chris Middleton, but maybe the second most important thing is seeing Kawhi Leonard leave Toronto. Cause um, especially if Toronto ends up being, you know, a top one, two team in the East, um, you know, for them to lose him that immediately just, I mean, it, I don't know if it would be quite the same as as the Cavs losing LeBron because the Cavs were much more of a mess outside of their star player than the Raptors are for sure. Um, but they're at sort of they're on sort of on the cliff, right? And um, they're I think going to be great this season. But depending on what's happening in that strange brain of Kawhi Leonard, it, they could look drastically different here from now. Do you think every other Finals MVP is pissed that Kawhi and Andre Iguodala won Finals MVP in back-to-back years for quote-unquote slowing down LeBron? Because, man, when you look at the rest of that list, like there are some great players that had great Finals performances. And then there's Kawhi Leonard with 12.8 points per game, six rebounds per game, two assists per game. And Andre Iguodala with 7.8 points per game, 3.3 rebounds per game, and three assists per game. Like, man, does that like does that tarnish the award? Because uh, what? Like, how did those guys win? Like, the only reason they won is because they didn't want to give it to LeBron in a losing effort because he was so clearly the best player in that like in both of those series like just the idea that oh Kawhi can get it done in the playoffs he's the finals mvp yeah he was the third best player on that team yeah uh like and but, and, and steph should have won it over iguodala in my opinion like yeah. pe- people act like steph curry hasn't had like great finals or something like that i mean just go look at the numbers i mean he's he, been great he's maybe not like you know absolute peak steph or something like that but again this is where sort of like the relativity thing impacts, right? Like a guy, a role player, six man guy like Iguodala plays great. And we value it more than the true superstar who really changes the geometry of the court plays maybe slightly below his, his best or whatever. And people don't appreciate it. And that's even beside the LeBron thing to me, Iggy was the third best player in that in that finals. But anyway, that's besides the point. I digress. No. And uh, like, I I just think it it is, Like the people are going to hold the win a playoff series thing over Giannis's head until he wins a playoff series, and you know what? That's totally fine. Like I, I get how how people think about those things, but you know when the Bucks win in the first round this year, like is everyone going to say, "Oh yeah, Giannis is the best player in the East now"? Because right now, that's the only thing that's keeping people from saying that. Like this BS idea that because they didn't win a playoff series, despite Giannis being fantastic in the playoffs last year. And despite him and Chris Middleton fighting uh, against the Celtics team and his own, like their own coaching staff to try to win a playoff series, they didn't win a playoff series. And for some reason that means he's not the best player in the Eastern conference. Like, come on, like that's, it's just ridiculous. Um, and it is like, as you mentioned, goalpost moving. Um, so yeah, I, I, I do think it's 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 hashtag fascinating to me to see uh, the the Raptors people willingly crown the Raptors, but have all of these questions about the Bucks. Like, oh, is it really real? The Raptors got a new coach too. You know, he's doing different things. No, no one's like, oh, can Nick Nurse do it? Is, are they really going to take to what Nick? nurse has done is it sustainable no it's just the raptors are great and you know can Kawhi leonard lead his team to whatever like yeah everyone yeah of course he can and Giannis, like those questions exist like it's just i don't know it's it's not necessarily surprising but it is obviously the kind of hypocritical about everything yeah and i don't on some level i don't mind it because again like you know hearkening back to the bucks struggles whenever there have been expectations um yeah I, i'm totally fine i mean like if talking heads want to say like well Giannis hasn't want to play yeah then fine 
okay, that's fine. Whatever. Yeah. You know, like you think Giannis minds still some people question. <laughs> no, like I, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's a lunatic. I'm sure he loves I, I took it. my notes, right? I, I took my little notebook, Nick Ferdinand, Howard Beck, you know, let's <laughs> get Bayless or whoever, you know, questions, uh, Giannis and, and well, he hasn't won a playoff series. Well, it's like, yeah, well he can't win a playoff series in November. So, you know, like yeah. congratulations, like, you know, You've made a great point. You made a great point. Um, so, I, but I'm fine with that. I'm I'm fine with the Bucks, with people not crowning the Bucks quite yet. That, that's fine. You know, let's let's let them prove it, and um, and that that won't that won't impact my ability to enjoy the game, uh, enjoy the season. Hopefully, you know, knock on wood, everything continues to go as it has been. And um, you know, again, like the Bucks are getting a ton of great press. Like I'm not going to sit here and act like, Oh, nobody's, why are people talking about the Bucks? People are talking about the Bucks. Like people are very aware of what the Bucks are doing They're They've been a phenomenal story. Um, and again, like, I think if you, you stop the season today, um, I think odds are Giannis is probably the MVP and, but Budenholzer is probably the coach of the year. <laughs> so it's kind of hard for me to say, uh, you know, that, uh, that like somehow they're, they're getting ignored. Um, because again, like, you know, the, the teams that get the most press, the teams that have done it year after year after year. And so, um, you know, that also brings the microscope and, um, you know, there's, there's still some advantages to, uh, to flying under the radar at least <laughs> a little bit. Um, so again, let's, let's just watch the bucks and, um, you know, taking care of business night on Friday against uh, a bulls team that obviously, um, uh, should give up 150 points. Um, yep. and, uh, you know, again, like, Bucks probably going to come out pretty motivated. Um, I'm curious. To be honest, looked like he wanted to, you know, um, put Jabari Parker in a very bad place when they played in the preseason. <laughs> so I asked him about uh, that first preseason meeting today. Uh, Giannis said there was no trash talk. Uh, he, he loves Jabari, so there there was no trash talk. But you know, he's like we've practiced against each other before, so I knew it was I knew what it was what it was like. So I was I was ready to. To go to go out and you know prove it against my my former teammates. So um, I would I would expect much of the same uh, for the Bucks on Friday. So uh, we will recap that game and talk a little bit more for our Monday podcast, and then the Bucks will be back into action on Monday night. I am really enjoying the mental image of Frank Madden having a picture of Nick Friedel and. <laughs> Howard Beck up on the mirror, Rocky Four style, uh, and bricks nearby so that when Giannis misses free throws, he can use the brick to smash each of their faces uh, as he's trying to get himself ready to uh, go. Hey, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, but they're not, they're not like miss, forcing Giannis to miss free throws. So you know, I'm not going to get that angry about it. You know, I like Howard Beck stuff uh, in particular. I'm just, just saying, you know, the doubters, you know, will. We'll see how that that goes. Um, (laughs) Spiteful Frank Madden signing off for the week. Uh, So (laughs) for Frank, I'm Eric. This has been Locked on Fox. We'll talk to you on Monday.